This is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Kalarsep, and the MLS season basically starts Tuesday night tonight in the CONCACAF Champions League as LAFC and Atlanta United, arguably the two top teams in MLS, kick off their 2020 seasons in the knockout rounds of the CCL. And one more time, we're going to see if an MLS team can finally break through and win the Champions League. Now, this episode of the SBI show will definitely have a CCL flavor. Uh, We have guests from LAFC and Atlanta United. Uh, We're we're lucky enough to be joined by Atlanta United head coach Frank DeBoer. Uh, Talk to him about the upcoming season for Atlanta. Obviously, a lot of turnover, some big names that have moved on and some big names that have stepped in to replace those that have moved on. Uh, we talk about that. We talk about last season and also everything from DeBoer's relationship with Pitti Martinez to how he replaces Darlington Nagby. Also, we have Tristan Blackman joining us. And for those of you who don't know who Tristan Blackman is, he is the defender for LAFC and is most likely the player who will step in and fill the void left by Walker Zimmerman, who was traded to Nashville. And Tristan Blackman, for those who didn't follow last year, Really had a, a breakout year last year as a versatile defender for LAFC, and he's going to have a much bigger role to play this year for the top team in MLS, and uh, we had a, a good chat with him uh, to give people some insight into who he is and, and what to expect from him as he takes on a much larger role in 2020. Now, the Champions League kicks off Tuesday night with LAFC traveling to Mexico to take on Club Leon. A very tough Club León team that's going to have the clear advantage of being six matches into their current Mexican season, Liga MX season, and this will be LAFC's first match. But of course, no excuses at this point. LAFC just has to get on with it and try to make sure that they don't leave Mexico in that first leg with too big a disadvantage as they look to bring the, the series back to Bank of California Stadium with a chance to advance. And as much as LAFC is, you can argue, the best team in MLS They also look like they have the toughest challenge in that first round of the knockout rounds of CCL. You also have Atlanta United, who takes on Matagua, the Honduran side, and that's a much more manageable assignment. But again, Atlanta is a team that underwent quite a bit of a roster overhaul this this offseason with so many uh, key players who have moved on now, from Michael Parkhurst, who retired, to other players who were traded or sold. When you talk about Julian Gressel, Leandro gonzalez Perez, Hector Villalba, so, and of course, Darlington Nagby, who's probably the biggest uh, loss of those, although you can argue Gressel was also such a huge part of what Atlanta United did uh, during his time there. But of course, Frank DeBoer will have to manage that and have to see if he can get Atlanta to go further in Champions League than they did a year ago in his first year in charge with Atlanta. Later in the week, you have Montreal, the Montreal Impact, Thierry Henry and the Impact traveling to Costa Rica to take on Deportivo Saprissa. Obviously, never uh, an easy challenge there. Uh, and then also in Costa Rica, you have NYCFC traveling down to take on San Carlos uh, in the first leg of their matchup before returning home to the friendly confines of Red Bull Arena for the second leg. Uh, Uh, We've talked about that before. We'll we'll probably talk about that again later. But last but certainly not least, you have the Seattle Sounders taking on CD Olympia. And you can definitely make the case that Seattle probably is the the MLS team with the best chance to really make a run in this tournament. Uh, It's a combination of, of Seattle having most of the nucleus back from the team that won MLS Cup. And also them having a path that is probably the most reasonable, most manageable among the powerhouses. Because you can argue LAFC is the best team, but they also have to face Lyon. They also have a a tougher path to winning, trying to win that first CCL title. So it's not going to be easy for them. But of course, when you have Carlos Vela and when you have the firepower that LAFC has, you have to to believe they're going to have a chance to get through. And if they get through Lyon, then you can talk about the momentum that they might be able to start building. Uh, heading throughout the later rounds of that tournament. Now we're going to jump right into the first guest of this episode. We have Atlanta United head coach Frank DeBoer, who is going into his second season in Atlanta. And for those of you who forgot, he had a pretty rough first year, uh, at least the beginning of his first season taking over for Tata Martino uh, and inheriting an MLS Cup winning team. It was never going to be easy, but he got through those early early difficulties to really help the team find its form in the second half of of the 2019 season. And really, you could argue Atlanta, you know, as much as they lost to Toronto FC, they they were playing some of the best soccer in the league by the end of the year. And 
even with that, there was quite a bit of turnover uh, and a big job for DeBoer as he tries to integrate so many new pieces. Uh, and it's a, it's a process, it's a project that uh, he, as a coach, sounds like he's looking forward to. There's been a lot of uh, roster turnover, some, yeah. some longtime players that have left. So there's obviously some concern about the look of the team and how difficult it will be to tr- bring in new, so many new players. Is that how challenging is that? And in some ways, is it might actually make certain things easier because you have new players with a clean slate that you can kind of teach your philosophy to. Well, you know, I think uh, you said it right. You know, uh, of course, uh, it's some, it's in the beginning difficult, you know, to to have so many different players in into our roster because everybody has to know each other. Not uh, not only the, the staff, of course, towards the players, uh, but also vice versa. But also the players with the other players. And know what the qualities are, you know, what kind of character he has. So all those kind of things have influence, of course, you know, when you start. But in the other way, you know, it's uh, it's a challenge, uh, challenging for me, you know, to 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 start with a new team, you know, and get uh, the best out of it. So that's always, I think, uh, part of my job, what I really like. Uh, and on the other side, you know, fresh faces brings new energy in, in the locker room. And I think that's always very important that it's, you know, sometimes when the people stay too long, you know, uh, it gets like they're going on the automatic pilot, you know. And now everybody, you know, uh, the new ones want to prove themselves. The other ones uh, who still are here, yeah, think, hey, uh, w- w- what's going on right now? So they will also be... I think much more active, you know, so uh, I think it's good, you know, to every three, four years that, uh, you know, you have some fresh faces in the in the locker room. Was that part of the, uh, what made the early going difficult at the beginning last year? Was that it was so, so, so much of the same nucleus was back that had been there for so long that sometimes it's hard for a team to, 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 to hear a new voice, to hear a, a new manager and because the old habits, I guess. Yes, you know, they are used to, and especially when you have really good results, of course, you know, uh, they were champions, so then it's always hard to uh, yeah, convince players, you know, okay, uh, we're going to do a lot of the same way, but also some t- things that we can, you know, uh, we think that we can do better still, and, you know, and if it's not the results, it's not going their way, or our way, of course, not their way, but our way. Yeah, then they really want to grab, you know, back to the, the old habits, you know. So yeah, but we had results uh, the, uh, this way. So and that's a normal process, what you see everywhere, you know, uh, especially in, uh, in team sports. Now, when the year ended last year, and you kind of had a chance to take a step back and look at the year, did you feel? How did you feel about how the year went overall? I mean, did you did you come away from it? Feeling good, uh, happy with it. We're, I mean, obviously, it was a rough beginning, but by the end, yeah. the team really showed showed its quality. Yeah, well, you know, I don't. Of course, I hate losing. You know, uh, every game when we lose or draw, you know, I'm not the happiest person. But uh, you know, sometimes also when you're playing against a team who's better. And then you accept it, okay, you know, uh, I will forget it uh, quite fast, you know, that we lost the game or something like that, because they were better, you know, we maybe we didn't have our day, but we can do better, but especially, uh, you know, we had, a, I think, what you said, a rush to start, and then we had, I think, a very good period, and then a little bit more ups and downs, but at the end, I think we were really, yeah, I think we played our best uh, football, and then, you know, you lose against Toronto uh, FC in the in the final of our confederation, and yeah, still I have a bit of taste of that. You know, that that was a really long time to get out of my head. You know, to get out of my system. I think really we deserved to to win that game. And yeah, if you see, we had a very big opportunity. Yeah, we had a very big opportunity. You know. To, to be the second time champions in a row because I had the feeling that yeah we were really you know uh, in, in a good shape everybody had confidence and if you see the game uh, I think Toronto you know the first half they were three times on our half and the second half maybe one time you know with a great uh, finish of course 
with it maybe too long. Of course, we have to blame ourselves. We have to take our opportunities. But still, I think yeah, it, it was such a a big opportunity, you know, to 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 make history, you know, to to two times in a row to be champion and of course you have to win first against Seattle uh, they did great but still I, I think they feared us more than, than Toronto and, uh, so uh, yeah that was at the end of the year we could look back you know to I think uh, a nice uh, year you know to start uh, to win two prizes but at the end you know you always think about what you didn't want you know and especially when you had the feeling that you could have won it now, now, obviously, this offseason, uh, you had some key players move on, and that's just yeah. part of the business. Um, yeah. But w- when it comes to a player like Dante Nagby, that, yeah. uh, he, he's in this league, that's not an easy player to replace. Uh, how, how, yeah. how do you replace a player who, who, who does what he can do in this league? Well, you have to find then the combination what he did, you know, maybe not in one player, but in two players. And, and then the other two, those two players has to... Uh, uh, give something uh, else that uh, Nekby didn't have, for example, uh, you know, give an assist or something like that, or uh, making goals or something like that. So then you, uh, it, yeah, you will solve that problem, I think, and that's why we have to try to, yeah, uh, to understand that, you know, you cannot replace Dart and Nekby. So he was one of a kind, I think. Yeah. Right. But you know, uh, with other players, bring, brings other dynamic in the team. So, uh, and sometimes uh, you know the puzzle will will fall itself, and suddenly you think, hey, maybe it's going even better. You know, right, uh, right. we have much more uh, goals or uh, scoring opportunity for a midfielder, for example. Uh, I know he was crucial, you know, in, from you know to come from first to second phase and also from second to third phase. You will never give an assist, almost, you know, or a splitting pass. But you know, to what I already said, the intensity the game is quite high everybody normally wants to press high so you need a guy who can you know relieve you from that pressure from the opponent and yeah if you're talking about a player who could that could do that then it was Dalek and Nekby you know he almost never lost the ball in dangerous uh, places on the field and uh, yeah so uh, we will miss him but the other way you know it's also exciting you know for a manager now to to look for other solutions and hopefully with another dimension in the team and uh, and I think you know with Emerson right now and also you have Eric and uh, Jeff of course but also Mateus Rosetto right now so yeah we will find you know the right solution and uh, and maybe we can even do better you mentioned Emerson Uh, obviously he came through in the middle of the year and that, that, that's yeah. that's never easy obviously for a player to come in he also hadn't played much before that but he, he eventually kind of found his stride well, how, what did you like about him just having had him for that first season and do you well, think well you know uh, I think he's quite difficult you know to defend because he's a player if you if you watch him he's always uh, on uh, on the move you know and he's almost never standing still you know he's got great lungs and uh, maybe he's not the, really the pace that uh, Darlington Nekby has, you know, on the top pace, but he's, uh, he's always on time and, you know, uh, make his uh, runs and, uh, and moves. And so his high intensity is, uh, is quite, uh, quite high. And I mean, especially, for example, a midfielder can run easily. 12 or 13 kilometers but it it all depends you know from those 13 kilometers and what kind of pace you do it uh, I think he does a lot of things in a very high pace so that's it's a similar you know what I, in my period at Ajax you have Christian Eriksen you know his speed is also not you know really top but he's so difficult to defend because he does everything such on a high pace uh, yeah, that's uh, and that's consistently, you know, like uh, like two kilometers or something like that, you know, on a very high pace. And not really uh, a lot of midfielders can cope with that, you know. So uh, that's why I like about him. He's very comfortable on the ball. He can also what uh, Duncan Nekby can do, you know, uh, turn right, left, and uh, don't don't panic. Knows his surroundings. Yeah, that is what uh, I, I saw in him uh, also last season, but also in pre-season he's doing 
doing uh, quite well. Uh, in a, another player who last year had a, had a rough start, but eventually kind of found his way was uh, P.T. Martinez. What would yeah. you think of how that year came along for him, and 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 what do you expect from him this year? And how was that? How was your relationship with him? Because there was a lot made about maybe you guys not getting along, and and it just you know maybe personalities clashing. Where, where, where do you guys kind of stand now? No, I never had problems with uh, with P.T. You know? privately and uh, you know uh, and also and then you know just business wise you know I have to make decisions and so privately you know uh, as a person to person it's always difficult you know, to, to put people on the bench sometimes but you know at the end I have to make those decisions and, uh, because I want the best for the team and, and at that moment for me I had a feeling you know he's not uh, performing that he can do so he I have better options you know to to, to win that game uh, so with him or without him and so at that moment I make the choice but it's it's normal I think when you come from a, a league and you come to another culture and everything in the beginning it's everything you have a lot of energy and suddenly you know uh, you see in every uh, yeah uh, almost every player who comes from uh, abroad, you know, starts really a little bit good and then drops normally uh, quite big. And then you have to you know, find his way back. And uh, I think he did. He fight for it. And that's why he played the last games. And what I see also right now, you know, pre-season, you know, he's really up for it, you know. He's, he's motivated. He's uh, talking to young players. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, I'm really... Uh, He's happy, and uh, of course, you know what I see from him. Uh, yeah, it makes me uh, very happy, you know, to see him so get involved, you know, in, in the team process. So uh, I hope, of course, that uh, this season you know, he can have more influence, you know, with goals and assists, of course, and uh, and also be, you know, like a, a leader because he is one of the most experienced players, of course, uh, for us. Another player, Miles Robinson, obviously yeah. had a big, big year, breaking he a breakout year for him last year. And uh, yeah. what would you think of how he's come along? And obviously, this is a very important year for him as well because now he has to take on more of a leadership role. Are you do you see him kind of opening up in that way? Yeah, well, you know, I, I think he's you know a very steady guy, also mentally in his head. So I, I don't see problems for him. Uh, of course, uh, in the other way, you know. Uh, everybody expects now a lot more of him. He's you now an international team player for the U.S. Uh, he had a great season, so yeah. People look different to him, you know, not only here in Atlanta but all over uh, the U.S. So uh, that gives you know other perspective, other pressure to him. So. Uh, I think he will deal that well, but uh, you never know, you know. And so, uh, well, I, I think uh, we don't have to worry, and he can uh, be still have a better year than than last season because he has more experience. And yeah, when you get more experience, uh, you're going to be a better player. What kind of potential does he have overall? I mean, you've obviously coached at, at the highest level, and you've seen yeah. top level talent. I mean, wh- wh- how good can he be? Well, you know, uh, I see, you know, as as a defender, you know, there is yeah, maybe he's one of the best right now in the U.S., there's no doubt about it, you know. Uh, he's, you know, he's build, uh, to build up, you know, his passing skills. I think he still can improve in that, you know, and I think already he made major steps in that, and that's why I have a lot of confidence in him that because he he observes it and you know the the information that he gets and try to 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 use it in 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 training and in games and uh, so yeah I think he can still uh, yeah hopefully you know a year like this and maybe other leagues going to be interested uh, in him because he has the physicality what every center back needs you know he has his length he has his strength his speed so uh, that's always you know the first things that uh, teams look to you know and of course if he can also build up yeah then you're you know one of the best in the world and uh, but he has a lot of uh, weapons you know that uh, a center back has to have there's always talk about CONCACAF Champions League and MLS and, and when will MLS yeah. finally win it? Uh, it feels yeah. like this year there's some very good teams competing in it for them yeah. for MLS. Do you you feel like this is the year that we'll finally see an MLS team able to to kind of get over that? 
Well, I think every year because it's gonna be uh, the gap will be uh, smaller. Uh, I think between uh, Liga MX and, and MLS because uh, it's getting better and better at MLS. So uh, you know we're getting more attraction of uh, other good players, young players, uh, also players like Chicharito. You know. Uh, wants to join the MLS and is still in very good shape. So I think it will lift up the, the quality of the of the league. So that means that we, yeah, the, the gap will be closer. I think and yeah, hopefully this year. If not, you know, uh, we, I'm convinced that every year we're gonna be uh, closer to uh, to win that uh, cup. But still, right now they have still that advantage. But, uh, yeah, not so big as uh, a couple of years ago. As far as Atlanta United goes, obviously there, there's been turnover. You haven't had your whole team for very long together yet, so it's it's still very early. But uh, if, if Atlanta is going to be better this year than last year, do you, do, you, do you believe that that to be the case, that this year's Atlanta can be better? And if so, why will this year's team be better than last year's team? Well, you know, uh, we want to be better, of course, uh, than than last season, and uh, hopefully, I think when everybody stays fit, we have uh, the possibility to do better than uh, than last year. Not only, you know, with results, but also, you know, what we see on the field. What I said, you already said it, PT, you know, is uh, one year behind him right now. Mesa is, I think, a very good uh, player that we, we signed. Uh, Mateus Rosetto, I think he can be also spectacular, you know, on midfield. Emerson Henman knows the league right now. And we have, like, uh, like Eric Romedi, Jeff Laurentovic, Joseph uh, Martinez, uh, Ezekiel Barco, who all know, you know, the league quite well right now. So uh, I think we still can have a really good team. And because we are now longer together, the majority of the of the yeah the team who's normally starting, yeah, we may, I think we can do better than than last season. Are you the team to beat, or is LAFC the team to beat? Because it it feels like everyone's just kind of handing it to LAFC that they're the team this year. Well, uh, you know, they have the they won that right, you know, uh, because they were the best uh, last season in my point of view. So they right now are the team to beat, you know. But hopefully, in a couple of weeks. Uh, Everybody thinks hey, so that's our uh, our goal to to achieve that. That means that we are uh, doing well. And that was Frank De Boer, and uh, you know I have to say that uh, I definitely see where he's coming from in terms of of the idea that you know when you inherit a winning team and you ha- inherit a team that's won a title, uh, it can be tough to kind of break through and get them to to adopt new habits and new approaches and and new philosophies when when they've they've gotten kind of used to the old way of thing of doing things and. When Tata Martino uh, left, uh, it was always going to be difficult for whoever replaced him to to really step in there with a different approach to things. And I think that's probably why uh, De Boer is looking forward to this uh, reconstruction project. Uh, as much as you know, as a coach, you can't you can't be crazy about uh, losing guys like Nagby and Gressel and Gonzalez Perez and and Parkhurst, but at the same time, you can mold the team closer to what you you envision a team being and also you bring in new players who as as Frank uh, DeBoer mentioned who are trying to to make their own first impressions in the in a new team and and, and it, if it's going to be I tell you what it's going to be a difficult job but it's it's one it sounds like DeBoer is going to is looking forward to um, just putting the putting all the ingredients together and, and seeing what 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 kind of dish he can serve up and uh We'll find out soon enough if Atlanta United can uh, can get off to a better start than they showed in 2019 and if they can uh, surpass the overall success that we saw from Atlanta in 2019. And it's easy to forget just because they lost in the playoffs to Toronto FC. They still had a pretty good season. U.S. Open Cup, uh, Campionis Cup, as much as you know, you, you may or may not consider that legitimate as a as a trophy or legitimate as a competition. Uh, they still won it. They still beat uh, Club America, and uh, there's still a trophy in the trophy case. But uh, obviously, they want another MLS Cup. They would love a Concacaf Champions League title. That that one's uh, going to be pretty difficult for a team with so many new faces. Um, and you have to hit the ground running, but uh, I, I really like what they've done with that team, with that with that Atlanta United team. And and obviously, you're going to have some players that are going to really need to step up. You're going to have uh, Brooks Lennon, who has to fill the big shoes uh, of, of Julian Gressel. And then you have Emerson Heinemann and, and uh, Mateus Rossetto. 
uh, trying to fill that void in the middle left by Nagby. And uh, I mean, those are all talented players. So they're obviously different players from the ones that they're replacing. But uh, as Deborah likes to point out, uh, different players can sometimes bring different ingredients and sometimes different strengths. So uh, as he pointed out about Nagby, not, uh, not really being a big assist machine or a big goal machine, uh, you know what? You're going to see if a Heinemann or a Rossetto can, can deliver those assists and deliver those goals and, and make Atlanta an even more dangerous team, uh, a more versatile team in the attack and not just a team that relies so heavily on Joseph Martinez. Up next on the SBI show, we have another special guest. We have Tristan Blackman joining us, the LAFC defender who stands to take a much bigger role in 2020 after the trade of Walker Zimmerman to Nashville SC. And LAFC is is looking to try to have an even better 2020 than the record-setting 2019 season that they had. Although LAFC didn't win MLS Cup, they still put together a season for the ages. And you can argue that LAFC team is the best team that MLS has ever seen and ever produced. And even though they fell short, um, you, it's, you can't ignore the dominance. You can't ignore the quality that they showed on a consistent basis throughout the season. And the scary thing is this team could be even better in 2020. I, I know for some people they might think, eh, I don't know about better because Walker Zimmerman's gone, Tyler Miller's gone. Uh, you know, they lost some other pieces, Lee Wynn, Steve Betashore. But I tell you what, when you look at the at the at what they did with that roster and when you look at what they could potentially do uh, with some, some positional changes, uh, when you talk about Tristan Blackman, who showed he can play well at center back, and then you have a Latif Blessing who could be making a move to the right back position and give LAFC a very dynamic threat at right back and, and maybe potentially morphing into that hybrid right back slash midfield role. All of a sudden, you're looking at the possibilities and you're, and you're considering, hey, look, Bob Bradley's a mad genius and, and he, he knows that he has a squad that's as, that is arguably the best in the league, arguably one of the deepest, if not the deepest in the league. And now he can continue to fine tune his squad and, and, and really move pieces around to really put together uh, an even better and even more dangerous and even more complete squad than he had in 2019. And I tell you what, folks, as much as losing Walker's Zimmerman, not an easy thing. Uh, Tristan Blackman gives you some different elements and, and, and allows you to do some different things. So uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see. And, and, you know, we have Tristan on the show with us. And he, he's an interesting one because he, he is very much the example of a player who has come into the team as a young, as you know, out of college, young, inexperienced player, and who's blossoming under the tutelage of Bob Bradley and, and who's really taken to the teachings of, of the LEFC coach, and uh, we have him on uh, to join us. When you heard about the trade, obviously, with Walker, um, it sounded like a lot of, you know, people were surprised by the trade. Did, to, did you have any sense that that, that was happening? Uh, no, uh, honestly. Yeah, it was kind of a shock to, to all of us when we when we found out and saw everything kind of going viral um, the morning of uh and yeah, I think everybody felt the same way. Um, but at the end of the day, yes, a club's decision, and you know, we we keep moving on, you know, with the players that we have, and you know, with whatever players they bring in. Now you played, obviously, you played center back and right back last year. Uh, you, you've been more of a right back coming up, coming out of college. Um, how, how, how was how was adapting to center back last year for you? How was that experience of just playing there and? Just, just did, did you kind of grow comfortable in that position? Would you think of, of how you kind of evolved in that position? Yeah, no, I think um, it was definitely a process of, of learning the position, especially in our, our style of play, uh, being comfortable on the ball and, you know, being able to distribute passes into the midfield that maybe some others on, you know, in other clubs, you know, wouldn't feel comfortable doing just because we have such a specific identity. But I think also what helped me was I had trained there um, my rookie year at some at some points um, in the year. Right. And then I also ended up playing center back on my loan stint um, in Phoenix uh, with the Rising. And I, I played center back there my rookie year. Um, I played several games there, and I think that kind of like started giving me more comfortability in the position. And then uh, coming in last year, I had kind of started to build that, you know, level of um, understanding. Um, but then, yeah, I just developed more and more throughout the year. And then obviously getting games, that's that's where you learn the most. Um, and yeah, thankfully I got a decent run of games at, 
at center back as well, and that definitely helped me. Now, when you uh, when you were in Phoenix and you started uh, getting those first kind of that first run of games at the position, how tough was it to adapt? I mean, it's obviously a different different responsibility, but I mean, what, was was it was it pretty tough early on, or, or was it a pretty smooth transition? Yeah, I think honestly, I think it was pretty smooth. Obviously, you don't like as a right back, I would you know be part of the attack a lot more than I would be at center back, and I think it was just kind of an understanding of the position and the role. Um, going into each game and, you know, talking with the coaches, you know, either from Phoenix or, you know, um, here in L.A., just about my responsibilities um, in the beginning stages of uh, playing center back. And I think I just tried to grope that and everything that they were telling me as much as I could. And, yeah, I kind of just ran with it, to be honest. You're obviously versatile. You can play both spots. But, you know, there's an argument to be made that, that you have you have maybe more upside at center back that maybe in terms of professionally and and, and chances for for kind of stardom center back might be the position for you. Do you do you see that? Right. Do you see that you, your strengths in that role and do you see that potential of, of maybe kind of being able to break out at center back? Yeah, I know for sure. Um, I've also had conversations with you know the staff from LA about it as well. Um, and yeah, I think. Uh, one, being versatile and, you know, being able to play both positions um, is very good. And talking with, you know, the coaching staff and just growing in that position, I think, um, you know, maybe my my ceiling is a little bit higher for that position, which is fine with me. I'm definitely comfortable playing that position. Um, obviously, there's things you need to refine. So even for the highest professionals in the game, um, continue working on things to develop. But, yeah, I'm excited to see, you know, where my career goes in either positions. And if it is center back, then, yeah, I'm ready to run with it. And then vice versa, if it's at right back, I do the same thing. So, Is, is there a game that you can remember uh, at center back that kind of made you feel like, like this is I can I can I can do well here. Was there a game or maybe a matchup or a you know an assignment that you that you did well in that that you kind of came away thinking like I really killed it. The, I can play there. Yeah. Um, I don't know if like in my mind there's one game perhaps, but I think I'd say probably I think I was already comfortable in position, but I think the win over Galaxy um, in playoffs for the first 45 when I played at center back. Right. Um. I think that's when I kind of felt, you know, like this is, you know, this is a good position for me. Um, not that right back isn't just like, right. I don't know. Obviously, I was going against, um, you know, one of the best to ever play in the position, uh, Ibrahimovic, um, for the first 45. And I just think for the most part, I handled, you know, all the situations I was put in pretty well, other than one that I can remember. And yeah, I just think. My growth in that position uh, has gone in a good way, and I'm excited to see you know where it continues to go. You now, you guys as a team obviously had such a such a great year last year, winning the Supporters Shield and 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 having the most points in the history uh, of the league. Obviously, you guys didn't win MLS Cup, but you know people look at people look at the level that you guys reached, and it was it was you know tops in the league. Is there is there a sense already? That, that you guys can do better, that you guys can ha- be even better this year? Or is it, is it, I mean, how tough is that going to be to, I mean, you guys set the bar pretty high last year. Right, no. Yeah, I think even coming off last year, we all realized we had let games slip that, we, like, we had no business letting go, um, which is, um, like, we try, every day we are real with one another and we, you know, we're humble about, uh, the progress that we've made and, you know, the, the season that we had. Um, but we also know that we could have done better. Like, we could have smashed the record if if we handled things um, even better than we did. Um, so, yeah, I think we set the bar really high. But that's, that's what you want as a club. You want the bar set high so you continue to push your team, you know, to reach the limits and surpass those. So I think... Setting the bar last year as high as we did was very good for us, especially coming in this year with Champions League. What's uh, what's it been like playing for Bob? Um, I mean, he's a guy who's had so much success throughout his career, and seems like he's really kind of embraced this project and and is is you know showing off even more of, of his quality as as a coach. What, what's he been like to play for? No, it's been uh, it's, honestly it's been surreal. I I just remember on draft day. 
I mean, I can say a few years back, like it's it's flown by. Um, <laughs> yeah, just he just has this aura about him, and you know, if you're in the soccer world in the U.S., you've obviously heard of Bob Bradley and you know the things that he's done, and you know here and overseas, and yeah, it's just been a it's been an honor to you know be be a part of this club and with him at the you know at the top of it. There's so much he can teach you in such a short amount of time if you're able to be receptive to it. And I've, I've started to, you know, finally, like, figure out, like, especially last year, just, like, how much of a sponge I need to be because, you know, when I pick up on these little details and understand that, you know, they're trying to help me get to, you know, reach my maximum potential, like, it's just crazy how intellectual they are about the football and, you know, and everything. I, and like I said, I can go on and on. But, yeah, all in all, it's been, it's been an honor to be a part of this club so far with, with him as our, as our head coach along with the staff. Um, and, yeah, he's, he's definitely a top-notch, that's for sure. He seems he's always he's always done a good job of of kind of getting through to younger players and and kind of helping, uh, you know, give them confidence. I mean, he's he's a guy who uh, you know throughout his career he he's helped develop some some top players uh, from a young age on uh, into the pro ranks. I mean, did that did that kind of surprise you how he kind of took took on that project of coaching even you like as a as a new as a rookie coming in and and it sounds like maybe it took you a little while to to maybe adapt to that yeah no i think it was definitely a learning process for me i think my rookie year was it was just tough fitting into the system coming in then going on loan like not getting very many minutes like early on in the season with the club um, just like here and there and I had like this false sense of reality almost like oh well you know I was a top draft pick maybe I should be playing more but then I had to like check myself and realize like look like you're at the bottom of the the food chain once you come in as a like from college especially because there's like so many young guys um, from around the world that come here that have been like that have experienced so much more than you coming out of college so yeah, I think I had, I had a huge learning curve last year, and um, yeah, it's, it's been a lot to soak in and like understand. But I think now I'm like I'm understanding the roles that they're asking me to play, and yeah, I think he's shown that he develops young players, and I'm I'm happy that I've been able to you know, be under his wing. Now, as far as Champions League, obviously it's a, it's never easy for, for MLS teams, uh, especially in the knockout rounds when you guys are so early in your season. Um, what, how you, what do you think of that challenge and how, how, how is the team kind of coming around into that challenge of, 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 of trying to, you know, go where no MLS team has been able to go? Yeah, no, I think we've been, like, especially coming off last year, we're very confident in our ability as a team to, you know, manage situations and, you know, put our identity on the field at all times. Um, and I think this preseason has been just a little rocky in the sense that we haven't had, like, all of our guys um, in for very long. So they got, uh, the staff has done, like, an incredible job of, like, managing, you know, the academy players coming in and, you know, trialists and this and that, still instilling our identity in them so that, like, when we do go play preseason games, we're still working on our football regardless of, like, who is on the field. But, yeah, the message is always the same. We want to win trophies, and at the end of the day, you just have to win. You have to be prepared for every, you know, opportunity that comes your way, and Champions League is our first opportunity this year. So every single guy on our team is excited about this challenge. And, yeah, it's, it's we're not naive um, and knowing that it's going to be a tough challenge because it has been um, in the past MLS teams and it will be for you know us as well. It's going to be a tough, a tough road. We just have to be prepared and, like I said, we're all ready to go for it. So who, growing up, who was your, who was the, who was the player for you growing up that that you kind of uh, wanted to model your game after, or or you looked at, you look, you looked up to the most? Yeah, actually, my favorite player is uh, David Alaba who plays for Bayern Munich. Right. Um, and I used to always watch videos of him. I would always watch Bayern Munich. Um, I don't know what it was. I just felt like he, he was just really aggressive. He could play different positions like I could. So I, I find myself always, like, being comfortable saying, like, 
watching him because I felt like I could do things that he could do in a sense. Okay. Um, so I felt like that comedy guy was there. Um, so yeah, I think I, I definitely watched him the most out of anybody. And then, um, I think other, like a few others, probably like definitely Sergio Ramos. Um, I watched a lot of Tiago Silva, the center backer PSG. I think David Alaba is definitely my favorite. Well, that, that, that's an interesting one, just because of the, like you said, the, the versatility in his game. I mean, you know, for for his national team, he could play in the attack and in the midfield, and obviously at Bayern, he 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 played left back, but then then he also played a decent amount of center back as well. I think we've covered a lot. So now, as far as MLS Cup goes, I mean, how much how much is that on your on your mind and on the team's mind heading into this year? Does it feel like kind of unfinished business, like you like you guys, you know? you had everything but that, like that was kind of the cherry on top that, that was missing. Yeah, of course. I mean, like I said earlier, um, like we were chasing trophies and, um, it was good to win supporter shield last year, but we definitely wanted more. Um, and it definitely left like a taste in our mouths. Like we want, we want something better out of this year. Um, but we also understand like, you know, champions league is right now. We have, we're focusing on that which is the first task at hand. Um, and then, yeah, so we're trying to win this, which will bring a trophy back. Um, and then, yeah, we can start focusing on, you know, chasing that trophy for them us. Now, now, I was talking to Frank DeBoer yesterday, Atlanta United coach, and uh, he said you guys are the team to beat, even though you guys didn't win MLS Cup last year. You guys are yeah. the team to beat heading into this year. And, I mean, Atlanta's a pretty good team. They're right up there, but uh, – does it feel like that going into this year? Like people are looking at you guys as the, even though you didn't win MLS Cup, you are the kind of standard in the league. Is that, I mean, what does that that mean to you guys knowing that? I mean, do you feel that? Yeah, no, I think that I think that's a testament to the work that we put in every day. Like, um, you know, we have a target on our backs for a reason. And, like, you want that target because you know teams will give you their best performance you know, every time you're out on the field, um, which is good for you because that trains you to be better, or, you know, in the games. That makes you better because you're playing against a person who wants to, you know, be doing their best as well. So, yeah, I think even towards the end of the year, we felt as though, you know, we had a target on our backs, and I think we managed it okay. I mean, good. I can say we managed it well. Um, we could, Like I said, we could have done better. Um, but, yeah, I think, like I said, it's a testament to – the work we do day in and day out, um, the you know the training sessions that the staff set up for us um, to help us succeed on the field, you know, in every match. Last one for me. So obviously, for you personally, how, how confident are you about having? the kind of year people are expecting from you because obviously with Walker leaving you, you know you're going to have some big shoes to fill I know there's still some question of will you be right back will you be center back I mean it seems like you're going to be at center back so like how much are you kind of embracing that that what you, you know are going to be some big shoes to fill and a big role to play yeah no I'm I'm definitely confident in my ability and the way that I fit into our system and our team so obviously it, it sucks um, on a personal level because I was close with Walker and, you know, a lot of the guys were. But at the end of the day, it's a business and I always have those memories to, like, hang on to with them. But at the end of the day, it's about striving to make our club better and better. And I'm excited that I get to, you know, start to grow into my, you know, my own even more so as a player. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I'm confident, like I said, in my ability and the ability of my teammates as well. Well, uh, definitely appreciate the time, and uh, good luck down there in Mexico, and uh, hopefully you guys can get through and be that first team to win that uh, Champions League because uh, that, that, that someone's got to do it eventually, and I feel like you guys are in a pretty good, pretty good shape to do it. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Well, that's Tristan Blackman and... Uh... For anyone who watched him toward the end of last year, you saw a player who, who definitely had that potential to be a to be a special uh, central defender. So you can kind of understand if you're LAFC and you know you have a player like him who you know at at his age is ready to kind of take that next step in the development. Do you kind of keep holding him back, or do you or you do you throw him in there and then you trade Walker Zimmerman for a big pile of allocation money that you can then uh, use on other other positions and. It's a it's a bold move, no question about it. And between that and the Latif blessing move over to right back, I mean, you're talking you're, you're talking about some moves that if they work out, 
could lead to a super dynamic uh, LAFC team because now, you know, as dominant as Walker Zimmerman is in the air and as much as he is definitely a physical presence in the middle of the defense, uh, when you talk about someone who can be vulnerable in space, someone who isn't necessarily the best passer, his his weaknesses in relation to, to, to the way LFC wants to play uh, are addressed when you replace him with someone like Tristan Blackman. Tristan Blackman's not as good in the air as Walker Zimmerman. There aren't many players in MLS who are, are as good in the air as Walker Zimmerman um, and not as physically imposing as Walker Zimmerman, but Blackman is a better passer. Uh, he, You can argue he's quicker. He, he His lateral quickness is better. Uh, obviously, in terms of instincts defensively and in terms of just getting the reps and getting the games as a center back, it's going to take him some time. Uh, but you have to look at that potential. You have to look at what he can grow into. And, you know, I, I hate when people uh, point to players and then and then try to compare them to other players and say, oh, this guy could be the next, you know, whoever, especially whenever MLS players are compared to, to you know, world, you know top world-class Messi's and, and Ronaldo's and, and, and Manuel Neuer's and, and that kind of thing. But uh, I, I think of a player like Aaron Long, uh, when I look at Tristan Blackman, uh, Aaron Long is a player who, you know, when he was younger, he was a midfielder and, you know, he, he moved around a couple of different positions and there was definitely a point in Aaron Long's career where he didn't see himself as a center back and look at him now and, and you, you know, he's a starting center back for the U.S. men's national team. And that's not to say Tristan Blackman's going to be as good or better than, than Aaron Long, but I just see that kind of potential for that kind of project to work and, and for him to, to really thrive in that role and, and who better in MLS to be your coach and to really kind of develop you in a new role than Bob Bradley. So it's going to be interesting to see how Blackman comes along, how he develops. And and, and Bob Bradley, I had a chance to speak to Bob Bradley the other day, and, and he made it clear that Tristan Blackman's days as a right back are not necessarily over. He could still play both center back and right back, and, and there's still question there's still questions about what LAFC is going to do with the resources that they got in the, in the Zimmerman trade. They can still hit the market the the transfer windows open in MLS and from what I've heard they, they have been looking at at uh potential options at right back so if they go sign a right back I think then you're gonna say okay well Tristan Blackman's gonna stay at center back now if they don't if they're unable to to find the right back prospects that they want to sign then maybe you, you keep your options open and, and, you, and you keep Blackman uh playing both positions. For me personally, I stick him at center back. I let him develop there. I let him get a full season under his belt and really let him grow into the player that he can be. And it's going to be fun to watch, uh, see how he how he develops. And anyone who watched LAFC last year and you watch what Latif Blessing was able to do. I mean, if I told most people 14 months ago that Latif Blessing would develop into one of the best central midfielders in MLS, they probably thought I was crazy. But that's what he did. He was one of the best central midfielders in MLS, just a dynamic force in the middle. Really, really underrated uh, to the to the success of LAFC last year, and now maybe we could see uh, Tristan Blackman be that next player that Bob Bradley helps transform into a, a just difference making All Star caliber player in a new position. In other MLS news, the Ron Jan soap opera has reached its conclusion. The Dutch manager is out. He has resigned as FC Cincinnati head coach. Amid the uh, allegations of, of race, use of racial slurs, uh, the investigation is ta- was taking place, and Jans has decided to step away and leave the, leave the team. And he's already kind of put his story out there about what he believes happened, and and now we're getting conflicting accounts about what actually happened. The MLS Players Union uh, took the the interesting step of of, of addressing the whole situation and basically. Uh, shooting down the idea that that this it was as simple as Ron Jans uh, using using a slur as part of a song he was singing in the locker room and and that's that's what Ron Jans has claimed and continues to claim he uh, he spoke to Dutch media uh, recently and actually uh, was was recorded giving his explanation and the way he laid it out was. You know, he it, it he he was it was a mistake on his part, and he he feels bad that 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 you know he offended anybody. But now he's choosing to leave because things have gotten so messy that he doesn't feel uh, like he can be himself there. That that's how he is spinning it. And obviously, the the MLS Players Union is pretty much like, yeah, that's a load of crap. Um, uh, and it sounds like, according to the Players Union, that there was a pattern of behavior 
with Ron Jans, meaning more than one incident. So this wasn't as simple as one time the coach tried to rap one song with the N word in it and and everyone and then that upset people. It wasn't one incident. So according to the players union, now we're, are we going to get the official account? Are we going to really get more details? Are we ever going to know the song? Uh, that that stuff it's still it still hasn't come out. We still haven't gotten those kind of details, but. It's gotten pretty messy now that the players' union has, has stepped forward, and, and basically the play, the players' union is getting involved now because of the way the narrative has been spun. In that, there's this impression now, and there there's been these leaks that that suggest that play that certain players chose to step forward, and and, and the uh, what's the implication is that you know some players who had a vendetta against Jans or who had a reason to not be happy with Jans took this opportunity to to basically torpedo him and to to basically uh, help him get fired. And the Players Union clearly wasn't having it. They clearly weren't allowing that narrative to just be out there and and have it seem as if Jans is the victim in this whole thing. And, you know, obviously, uh, who knows for sure? The people in the locker room know for sure. The players know, uh, and Jans knows uh, whether or not he's he's telling the whole truth or or, or I mean, he, he's convincing. He sounds convincing. He sounds like someone who who really feels like he it, it it wasn't malicious on his part, and that you know he it was a mistake, and he had, he acknowledges that it was a mistake. That you know he feels bad that that he offended anybody, but it, it's unfortunate that. This has gotten so messy, but again, if the players' union is right, and this is a pattern of behavior, if we're talking multiple situations and multiple incidents of the coach being insensitive, then you got to go, and that's there's no question about it, because you know what? If you do it once, if you do something once, and it's kind of like, hey, look, you know, he didn't know, he's not from the U.S., he doesn't understand what's taboo, what's what, what's allowed, not allowed, or what, what what's frowned upon, uh, you could kind of chalk it up, but when you're talking about multiple situations and, and apparently there was some, some incident last season where he made some reference to, to slavery or, uh, you know, it sounds like he went to a museum in DC and then, and then from what he saw, he kind of gave some not so great, um, <laughs> interpretation or, or explanation or, or, you know, I don't know what he did, whatever he did, it was, it didn't go over well. And apparently at the time, no one made, made anything about it, but, once you had this more recent incident and then you tie it to that one, then you can look at it and say that this is a pattern. So now, is it just these two incidences or were there more? We don't know. So un- unless the details of the, the investigation are, are, are released, we aren't going to know. And, and I mean, hopefully we get more more clarity on it. I don't know if there's legal roadblocks that stand in the way of us getting the truth and getting the real details but i think i think you know fans and i think the league pe- people who follow the league deserve to get the full accounting and the full detail about just what went down because if, it, if it's as simple as a, a coach for a foreign coach a coach from another country coming here and trying to rap a rap song and saying something that he shouldn't have said you'd like to think that's a teachable moment that's an opportunity to step in there and explain to him why he can't do that, and a chance for him to apologize and and move forward from there. Um, to think that that one incident, isolated incident, would be a fireable offense. I mean, for me, I, I I don't I wouldn't have seen it that way. But clearly, the players' union is standing by the idea that this was not an isolated incident. And if it wasn't an isolated incident, if it was multiple incidences, then I understand. And then you know what, Ron Jans, you have to go. In other bad news from around MLS, uh, Paul Ariola, the DC United and US men's national team midfielder, uh, is ready to miss the 2020 season after suffering a torn ACL. He confirmed the injury uh, this week. Uh, it was suffered over the weekend uh, in a in a preseason match between DC United and Orlando City, and just devastating news uh, for a player who obviously was a big part of of DC United's plans as they as they move on after Wayne Rooney and Lucho Acosta. Uh and also a player who had a role to play for the US national team. He's he's been part of Greg Berhalter's setup as a wing option as a, as a as a a versatile winger who could play on either side. Um you could argue, you know, would he necessarily start when you have a, a healthy a full healthy squad? Um and these days it's pretty it seems pretty far away from 
uh, the USMNT being able to be a healthy squad. So anytime you lose anybody who can give you give you some options, it's it's unfortunate and it's just a huge huge blow. Uh, for a, for number one, a class act, one of one of the classier players in MLS, but also a very talented player and a player who was poised to have a big 2020. Uh, and now he is out uh, 20 ACL. You're talking about nine months minimum, and that's going to pretty much rule him out for the rest of the year. And that's a huge blow for DC United, uh, a team that is in transition, a team that you know they they have added some pieces, but they you know even before losing Ariola, I had my questions about them. Uh, about what they're going to do this year, uh, and now without him, it's uh, it doesn't look good. It does not look good for them uh, going going into the season, and um, they haven't replaced Wayne Rooney yet. I mean, I, uh, the, the Peruvian Edison Flores is a big addition for them. I, I like him a lot. Obviously, he's Peruvian, so I'm gonna be a, I'm gonna I'm gonna say he's gonna be a good addition. But you just feel like they're missing. They were already missing something. They were already in need of at least one or two other pieces. And now Paul Ariola's out. Uh, it's shaping up to be a long year for DC. And we've seen this before. DC United kind of have that up and down thing where one year they're, they they do well, one year they don't do well. Where I think what I think can work in their favor is the fact that I feel like their defense is pretty solid and can still be, again, very solid. Uh, and when you have a defense, you you can compete, right? You can compete, and and you know if they can go add another one more attacking piece, uh, they can be right there in the in the in the conversation as far as a playoff team. But for right now, it's not. I for me, I would say it's not. It's not a given that DC United is going to be a playoff team. Moving on to the Americans abroad slash U.S. men's national team front. Obviously, Ariola, somewhat U.S. men's national team related, but uh, on the Americans abroad front, we had some good news that quickly turned into not so good news over the weekend. Tim Weah returned to action, played in his first match for league on side Lille since August, right? And obviously, he had the uh, torn hamstring and he missed what, almost six months of action. He finally gets on the field. He comes on as a sub to play the last 10 minutes of their match against Marseille. And apparently he's injured again. And this is just, it's getting so brutal. Uh, when you look at the U.S. men's national team player pool and, and some of the most exciting prospects and players who are all injured now, when you talk about Christian Pulisic, uh, Tyler Adams, Zach Steffen, uh, and now, uh, you know, you also have Dwayne Holmes, who recently suffered an injury. And now you have Tim Weah apparently re-injuring himself. And, and at this at this point, when it comes to Tim Weah, I mean, let's let's stop even talking about March. Let's stop talking about the March friendlies. Let's stop talking about Olympic qualifying. Let's see if Weah can get healthy and get a run of games together. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a big year. 2020 is a big year. There's a lot going on. Let's think about the big picture and him getting healthy and getting a run of games. I don't, I don't, the, the way things are going right now, I feel like national team is like, the, it should be the last thing on Tim Weah's mind. Right now he needs to get healthy and he gets back and needs to get back on the field. And after missing so much time for him to have, for him to have another setback is pretty brutal, but let's not, let's not go too crazy. Uh, again, he's young. He's, we're talking, you know, 20 years old. Uh, I believe he's turned 20. And if he isn't turned 20, he's about to turn 20. So he's very young still. And, uh, you know, hopefully he can get back and, and overcome this recent setback and get back on the field. Because, again, he's one of the more exciting prospects in the U.S. player pool. And finally, some good news. Let's get some good news <laughs> after ever some of the some of the negatives that we've, we've just rolled through right now. A few bits of good news. John Brooks did return to the starting lineup for Wolfsburg, took advantage of, of the fact that one of his uh, teammates uh, w was issued a red card last week. So he had an opportunity to get back in the starting lineup after three straight matches on the bench. Now, Wolfsburg did win its match, but Brooks didn't necessarily have a dominant performance. He had an OK performance. Is it enough? For him to keep the starting job going forward, that remains to be seen. We'll find that out soon enough. But just to get him back on the field, I think that's huge when you talk about the U.S. and and how important John Brooks is going to be for the U.S. national team in what is a huge year between Nations League and, more importantly, World Cup qualifying later in the year. He is, without question, the best center back in the U.S. player pool. And if there's any issues with him, if he gets injured again or if he just isn't playing, that's going to be a big setback for the U.S. defense because... I mean, you can definitely say that that John Brooks and Aaron Long, that's your center back tandem, all things being equal. When everyone's healthy, that's your tandem. You definitely need Brooks in there. 
Uh, and and if he's not playing, that that that's not ideal. So hopefully he can get get back into to regular playing time for Wolfsburg and uh, and be ready for the March friendlies because you definitely want to see him get some more matches with Aaron Long because if that's going to be your tandem, you want them to get as many games as possible. And and they're a good they're a good pairing. They I think they work well off each other and they complement each other well. But you want to make sure John Brooks is getting games. <laughs> Now, here you go, folks. I'm going to give you some pure, some pure good news. And because, look, John Brooks, that's good news he got on the field, but he may not stay on the field. I think the best news of the week when it comes to the U.S. men's national team is Sebastian Saucedo, who is at Pumas in Liga Mekis. He was at Real Salt Lake. He left Real Salt Lake and he joined Pumas. And Pumas is in first place in Liga Mekis through six matches. And Saucedo has started in all six matches. Most recently, he had the winning assist in, in, in Pumas' most recent victory. They're on a roll right now. They're undefeated, and Saucedo's been a big part of that. And for those who, who remember the name and remember the player, he was with Real Salt Lake. Before that, he was part of the U.S. Under-20 uh, national team uh, in the previous cycle, and he's someone who's eligible for the current Under-23 cycle. So you wonder, will Pumas allow him to be part of the Olympic qualifying squad, or will they maybe try to block it and then he and then Greg Berhalter has to consider him for the full senior team? But he's someone who definitely you want to keep track of and keep in mind. Uh, he's someone who was part of that previous under 20 cycle prior to 2019. We're talking the 2017 uh, group. And he's a talented player. And I think he is showing that that Liga Mekis is probably a better fit for him to really showcase what he can do. I mean, he showed flashes at times for Real Salt Lake, but he wasn't consistently dominant. He wasn't consistently effective in MLS, but you always saw the quality. You always saw the ability. You always saw the, the skill. And now he's really thriving at Pumas. And if he continues to play that way, then he's someone that Jason Christ absolutely is going to want to have as a part of his Olympic qualifying campaign. And if they can't get him released... Greg Berhalter, Greg Berhalter should definitely be considering him, especially given the injury crisis going on right now with the U.S. men's national team player pool. When you talk about Pulisic and Weya and Dwayne Holmes and now Paul Ariola, um, I mean, <laughs> all these guys are, are are hurt or done for the year or you don't know when they're going to come back. So Salcedo should be wearing a U.S. uniform in March, whether it's at the March friendlies in Europe or in Olympic qualifying in Mexico. He needs to be in a uniform because with the form he's in, he's definitely worth watching. Well, that's it, folks. That's another episode of the SBI show. This is a slightly abbreviated edition. Uh, I was trying to get it out. Uh, it's that time of year where, uh, you know, th those of us who cover MLS are, are working on all our, S our MLS preview materials. So you're talking about interviews, you talk about writing articles, and, and uh, SBI has started our preview run, and uh, I dropped the Atlanta United and LAFC team previews on Tuesday, along with the first SBI MLS power rankings, and I was going to get into the, the power rankings on this episode, but I decided to hold off. I'll talk about it on the next episode, and uh, obviously next week we will have our SBI MLS preview episodes, two-part series. Uh, one one part will preview the Eastern Conference, one part will preview the Western Conference. There's obviously so much to talk about when you talk about 26 teams, and, and these are going to be some pretty long episodes. Uh, I'm going to try to mix in some interviews as well. Uh, I, as, as you know, with this episode, we were able to, to incorporate the Frank DeBoer and Tristan uh, Blackman interviews. I have other interviews that I've already done uh, with the likes of Emerson Hindman, Bob Bradley, uh, Keaton Parks. Uh, there, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of interviews that already have taken place and that will take place in the coming days. I'll see which one which ones of those I will be able to incorporate in these upcoming episodes. But definitely stay tuned and make sure you read SBI for all of our preview coverage leading up to MLS. Dare I say I think SBI has the best MLS preview coverage around. I'm sure there are other places that have uh, that have quality work, but I stand by what we're putting together and it's definitely content you should be reading and consuming and watching and reading and listening to in the coming days and weeks and throughout the MLS season because we're bringing it this preseason and we were definitely bringing it in our preview package. That's all for now. I definitely want to thank Frank DeBoer and Tristan Blackman for joining us and uh, make sure you stay tuned on Friday for the next episode and the, and the next set of interviews. Not sure who, yet, who we'll have on for the next episode, but we'll definitely have uh, some some interviews. Uh, I've <laughs> I have so many interviews that I need to, to, to put out there. 
in the next few weeks. So uh, be sure to look out for that. Uh, and hopefully soon we'll get onto that normal Monday, Friday routine. Obviously, this, this episode is dropping on Tuesday afternoon later than I had planned. But again, with so much uh, MLS preview material to put out there, it's, uh, it's, get, it's gotten a little tough to get things out on a normal schedule. But hopefully we'll get better with that. Uh, in the coming days and weeks. But uh, that's all for now. I'm Ivan Scalarza. This is The SBI Show.